Wednesday is uh, Valentine's Day. Uh, ladies, if you're looking for a great Valentine's Day idea, um, you could not make your man dance. That would be great. No, I'm just <laughs> Just teasing. <laughs> no, seriously, go support that. I'm sure it's for a good cause and everything. I will be watching Walking Dead, but you guys have fun dancing. Uh, so, all right. So, um, so we are in this series called Gospel Restoration. Now, the Gospel Restoration series is about us taking a look at the fullness of the gospel story. That, uh, that we, we've talked about how, unfortunately, over the last, I don't know how long, decades or a couple centuries, I, I, who knows how long, we have distilled the gospel like into this oversimplified Western version of, of kind of giving people a set of bullet points uh, on how it, you know, the kind of the, the three or four happy hops to be saved, you know, that sort of thing. And it's like, if you just slip up your hand or come down here and say a prayer, uh, then, then everything's all, all right and all good. Now, the problem with that is that there's what we have distilled down to a formula. And, and isn't there, I mean, honestly, is there anything more attractive than a formula, right? I mean, I mean, I mean you, want, you want to just get people excited about God, give them a formula, right? No, no, obviously, if you want, I'm going to tell you, the, the main reason we're preaching this series is that if you want to get people excited about the good news, we got to make the good news good again. We got to make the good news good again. And when you tell, let's use our, our you know, context as, a, as an example. When you tell um, someone in Northern California that, um, you know, your life is messed up and you need Jesus, um, and you should slip up your hand and, and make a decision to follow him. I think a lot of people are going to respond to that by saying, my life's not really that bad. Like things are pretty good, right? Uh, live in a decent town on a cul-de-sac and, and, uh, you know, relatively safe environment and I'm making okay money and we got a, you know, roof over our head and groceries in the, Cabinets, and I mean, you know, it's, it's, I think sometimes it's hard to convince people of their need for Jesus based on their current situation. Now, I mean, I mean obviously, we can, all be, we can all run across somebody who's just down and out and spiraling out of control, and we can convince them, right? But is the gospel only for the down and out or spiraling out of control? No, it's for all of us. It's for every single one of us. And what we have missed over the years is telling the story of the good news, the story of the gospel. And it is an epic, huge story spanning centuries, this story, and, and continuing on even into today. Um, and so we've, we've taken the time to, uh, we're going to, for the next several weeks, tell that story. We started off uh, in the beginning with creation and telling that, that, uh, that everything started because there is a God who created everything. And we told that story and all the implications of that. Last week, we told the story of the fall, how uh, uh, mankind decided uh, to rebel against God's good ways. And the result of that is that we live in this fallen, sinful world that everything is out of joint from the way that God created it. God created everything with perfection and, um, and, and, and just absolutely good and perfect. And because of sin, everything is now... Um, no longer that way, not only in the physical world, but also in our spiritual world and, and everything. Everything is, I mean, you don't have to look very far to see we live in a jacked up world, right? And so, um, so now we're going to continue the story. <clears throat> now, 
We're going to skip over several. By the way, Gen- Genesis. If you've never read the book of Genesis, it, it is such a... Uh, it's, it's, it, they, they were smart making it the first book of the Bible because it's such a foundational book, right? It's such a foundational book. Read the book of Genesis, 50 chapters long, uh, but it is full of stories. And they're, and they're stories that are foundational to the beginnings of, of everything to the families that God worked through and eventually the nation he works through and, and, and just great, great, great stories. So we're skipping ahead. So I think we, we ended in uh, chapter 3 last year. We're going to skip over to chapter 12. In between there, some things happen, some crazy things happen. There's a whole story uh, about a, the, the Tower of Babel, which is an interesting story you should read. There's the story of Noah. Uh, and the flood, which is another interesting story. Uh, interesting. Uh, one of the reasons that's such an interesting story is that uh, we take little, cute little pictures of animals in Noah, and and we put them all over our nursery walls, uh, you know, in our homes. And uh, and it's actually the story of the death of pretty much everything, right? It's like sleep tight. <laughs> there you go, right? <laughs> and, and so. So anyway, so there's that story. And then we get on into, uh, you know, th- there's some, uh, you know, connecting stories there that we finally in chapter 12 we meet uh, or we, we are introduced to uh, a guy by the name of Abram whose name will la- later be changed to Abraham in chapter 12. Uh, now, Abraham is, is literally the father, uh, you know, of the, of the Jewish faith. I mean, he is the founding father of the Jewish faith. It all starts... God's covenant with the people of Israel starts with this man, Abram, and uh, and it's just it's just this beautiful story. Again, you should. We're only going to hit parts of the story today. You should read the read the complete story because it's, he he led a very interesting life, and so did his children. And and uh, anyway, great great book of, of Genesis is. So, um, one of the things. Let me tell you a little bit about Abram. Abram was from a land called Ur, and. Um, and so he's well up in years. He has a wife uh, by the name of Sarai, uh, later to be Sarah. And um, she, and they, as they are getting up in years, they have no children. Uh, they have no land. Uh, they have no future. And God sits down with Abram and makes a covenant between himself and, and Abram. And this is what that covenant looks like. Starting in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1. Pull out your uh, fill-in-the-blank notes. We're going to fill in some blanks here in a little bit. Uh, It looks like this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, there's a pretty significant uh, thing that God uh, uh, promises Abram. And he's just this normal guy. There's nothing really that special about him. But God, in his infinite wisdom and his sovereign plan, seeks out this man Abram and says, I'm going to bless the entire planet through you and your offspring. And so what God promises, this is your first blank here, uh, in the covenant with Abraham, God promises land, descendants, and redemptive blessing. Land, descendants, and redemptive blessing. 
that we talked about last week, that even from the first moment that that man fell away from God and started going about, about you know, his own uh, path and his own way of doing things, God immediately sets into motion a plan to restore the relationship between God and people. He immediately sets, sets forth that plan. And here is the first major push of that plan. And it's through this covenant. Now, there's lots of, there, there, there are a couple of different kinds of covenants. There's, there's a covenant that's, um, that is, say, uh, the way a lot of people approach marriage, uh, where it, it says, you know, it's two people saying, basically, um, I'll spend the rest of my life with you. And, but a lot of times people approach that, and, 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 and by the way, the Bible doesn't have too much of an issue with this. It, it, allows, for, it allows for some some stuff to go on here. They'll approach it as, I will be faithful to you if you are faithful to me, and I will be faithful to you if you are faithful to me. Uh, again, the Bible does allow for divorce in situations of unfaithfulness and, and, and that sort of thing. But God doesn't approach his covenant with us that way. The way God approaches covenant, it's a one-sided covenant. And God says, I'll be your God, and you'll be my people. And even if you decide not to be my people, I'll still be your God. I'll still be your God. The, the New Testament, one of the New Testament writers says it this way, that if we're unfaithful to God, what, will, what does God do? He'll still be faithful to us because he can't be anything but faithful to us. He'll choose to be faithful to us. Now, this promise of, of land and descendants and redemptive blessing, it's a, it's a really important promise. And it has implications not only into the New Testament, but into our day today. That God is still faithful to that promise. And, 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 I, and I get this, he, he promises a land to this guy who had no land of his own. He promises to descendants to an old man and an old woman. And, and then he promises, I'm going to bless the entire human race through you and your family. I'm going to bless them all through you. It's a foreshadowing of what's going to come, right? Now, by the way, as we're telling this story, uh, I've said in previous weeks, I'm, I'm intentionally leaving some tension there. Because I don't want to... Does anybody uh, like when somebody spoils a movie for you? Right? We all hate... Like, I, I, like it, it's infuriating for somebody to spoil something for me. I don't watch... Anytime Walking Dead's on, I don't look at Facebook. I don't do it. Uh, you know, any, like I, I just don't, any, any new movies come out, I don't, I don't get on Facebook because I don't want anything spoiled. Uh, I hate that. I want to be able to experience that. So I, I'm not going to spoil too much except to say this. It all works out great, okay? It all really works out great. It's going to be, it's going to be a really happy ending, okay? But I want you to kind of feel the tension of the Old Testament, how we've talked about that, that really the primary purpose of the Old Testament is to establish our need for a Savior, that's the, whole, that's the whole gist of the Old Testament. It is, I mean, when you read the Old Testament, if it depresses you, it's because it's supposed to. It's supposed to. It paints a bleak picture of, of the world and the sinfulness of the world and, and the struggle in our relationship with God. Why? Because God is establishing how badly we need a Savior. And we're going to get there in a couple of weeks. But for now, I want to hit on this first covenant that he makes through this man. Like... I, I think it's awesome, like really beautiful, that God starts his redemptive plan through a family. Through a family. 
in a family uh, that was struggling to have kids. I don't know if, if, if that, this, you may identify with this personally, uh, or if you don't, I'm sure you know you have friends or family members who identify with this. Uh, and, and if you watch a, a couple that so desperately uh, wants to have a child, like they, like they just want to find that sense of, um, of, of joy and fulfillment and of passing something of themselves on to another generation, and, and when they can't have a child... Um, I've seen couples walk through that just in tears and pain and eventually at times hope, hopelessness. And if they point their eyes to the right direction, eventually they can find some hope in that situation and, 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 and a way to move on in a way that honors God and, and is fulfilling to themselves. But if you've seen, if you've got friends and family or maybe that's you, you yourself that are, have walked through that, it's as hard to see hard to see when a couple wants something so bad. And this is, this is Abram and Sarai. This is them at this moment in their life where they're like, you know, God's promised them kids and they're already old. They're already old. And it's like, really? Like, that doesn't happen, God. Like, old people don't have kids. Like, and even if they do, you know, Sometimes they, they're kind of weird kids, and, you know, right? <laughs> like, like yeah. You know, I mean, it's just it doesn't it doesn't really happen, right? And so, <laughs> not you. You're perfectly normal. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so th- there there's that thing, and just that tension that they're feeling of. I mean, that pain of. Okay, you know, we've tried this for years and years and years to no avail, and now here comes a promise from God saying He's going to do this, and. Well, I guess if anybody can do it, it's God. But I'm sure there was a part of them that was going to be like, I'm not going to get my hopes up, though. Right? Every, nothing else has worked. It's, so, but the God makes this promise. He starts this whole redemptive plan through this family. Let's look, look ahead. Uh, chapter 15. Chapter 15. Hmm. Starting with verse 1. After these things, <clears throat> the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So some time has passed. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. This is some kind of household servant. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So he tells, he tells Abram, Go outside for a little bit. Look up at the skies. Now this is before you know, big cities and electric lights and everything. I mean, I don't know if you ever get away from everything and really get to see a good view of the stars, especially when there's like no moon in the sky. And it is breathtaking. Just like, like we forget how many stars are actually up there. And it's a bunch. It is a whole bunch. I mean, like from my house, I can normally see about 20. (laughs) You know, it's like there's so many lights around or whatever, you know, you can only see the bright ones. But, but when you get out away, I mean, it is just 
absolutely breathtaking. So he's looking up and he's looking at all these stars and God says, try to count them if you can. Of course, there's no way he could. He says, I know you don't have a kid now, but I promise you your offspring will number like the stars. Now this next verse is really critical. Verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted to him as righteousness. So God makes this outlandish promise to an old man with no kids, married to an old woman with no kids, and says, I'm going to give you more kids, more offspring than you could ever imagine, and they'll be yours. Not one of your servants, but, but your own. And Abram does something that for a lot of us is so hard to believe. In that moment, he chose to believe that God could pull off something God-sized. That God could step up and work in a way that he himself could not. And not only that he himself could not, but that he couldn't hardly even begin to imagine. But he makes a choice to believe that God is going to do what God said he would do. And this is the most beautiful part of that statement. And God counted that faith to him as righteousness. Now, a lot of times when we think of righteousness, we've talked about this before, that righteousness to us a lot of times is us doing good things, right? We think of righteousness. If you're a righteous person, we normally take that to mean that, well, you know, you're, you're a very moral person. You, you, you make the right choices. You know, you follow God's word. Uh, you're obedient to the word of God. That's what a righteous person looks like. It's somebody who's got everything together. They're making the right choices. They're doing the right things. They're a, a, a moral standard to everyone around them. But God sees righteousness different than we see righteousness. Now put that next, that next point up. It says this. God isn't impressed by your morality. It's faithfulness that counts. You have to get this. You have to get this. If you don't get anything else I say today, get this one statement because it is a game changer for you as a Christian. Because if you have felt frustrated in your brokenness and your sinfulness and your, uh, um, your, your likelihood to keep going back to the same temptations and sins and things like that and, and, and just frustrated that you can't feel more victorious in your faith, morally speaking, like it just seems like you, you just, I mean, temptation is just constantly chasing after you and you feel weak often in the face of temptation. You have to get this statement here that God is not so much impressed by your morality. With him, it's faithfulness that counts. Do you believe God is who he said, says he is? Do you believe he can do what he says he will do? Do you believe that he, when you gave your life to him and asked him to forgive you of your sins and you embraced Jesus and the cross, part of the story we'll get to later, when, do you believe that when you did all of that and God said, yes, I give you this grace and I forgive you, I give you the sacrifice of my son Jesus and his sacrifice covers all of your sins, past, present, and future, do you actually believe that God loves you enough to look at you, broken as you are, and look at you through the lens of His Son, Jesus Christ, and declare you as righteous? 
Do you believe that? Because I think for a lot of us, we have a hard time believing that. A hard time. We're going to find out in, the, in this path, you know, part of the story of, of, of Abraham here is that him and Sarah, his wife, got frustrated that they still weren't having kids. Years keep going by and they're still not having kids. And Sarah encourages Abraham to take matters into his own hands. And she gives him her handmaiden. And she says, just, just sleep with her. Just have a child with her. God's obvious. It's been years. God's not going to show up. It's not going to happen. Just, just go have a child with her. And Abraham does. And this moment of doubt in this, for both of them, and this moment of frustration and hopeless feelings, uh, they take matters into their own hands. How many times have you been tempted to doubt the promises of God and try to take matters into your own hands? How many times have, 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 has, have you tried to follow the word of God in an area of your life that you know the Bible is clear that I need to make this choice, whatever that choice might be. And it feels like it's too hard a choice for me to make. I need to, I need to do this my way. I'm too scared to try it God's way. I don't, I don't have the courage to do it God's way. I'm afraid of what it's going to look like if I do it, do it God's way. I don't have the, the, the finances to step out on faith and do it God's way. I don't have the relationships that are healthy in my family to step out and do it God's way. I, I, need to, I just need to kind of give in and go the easy way. But with God, it's not so much morality that he's impressed with. It's faithfulness. Because let me tell you something. One, one of the most um, encouraging things for me as a Christian is this. I gave up a long time ago with the notion that I'm ever going to be perfect. Because it ain't happening. Like, it ain't happening. It ain't happening. Like, talk to my wife. She will testify it ain't happening. Like, like it is, I'm, I'm just not, I'm not a perfect guy. Despite these looks, I know. <laughs> I'm just not a perfect guy. I, 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 I lash out in anger I, I, I fall to all kinds of temptations. I, I, it's, it's frustrating to me as your, as your pastor. It's frustrating to me how sinful at times I still am. It's really frustrating. Like I want to be better. I want to. I mean, for for God, for my family, for for you as the congregation that I pastor, I want to be better than I am. Now, here's the thing about that. The hope in all of this is that when God chooses to grant his righteousness to me, I no longer have to stress about being perfect. All I have to do is submit to the Holy Spirit and allow him to reshape me into the man that he wants me to be. And there's going to be bumps and there's going to be steps and there's going to be failures along the way. But you know what else there's going to be? There's going to be successes. There's going to be victories. There's going to be make, me making the right decision and me, me uh, investing in my family in ways to, 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 to leave a good legacy with my family. There's going to be lots of good things that happen along the way. Because you know what? God is not so concerned with me being perfect. What he wants me to do is be faithful. And, th- and get this. I don't care how tempted you are. And you may be sitting there thinking you have... If you think you're a tempted person, you have no idea how tempted I am. 
And, and I'm just going to tell you, it doesn't matter. Because what God wants for you is faithfulness. And every single one of us can do faithfulness. Because you know what faithfulness looks like? Faithfulness looks like me making a daily, sometimes minute-by-minute minute decision to follow God. I can do that. I can make that decision. And when and if I fail, when and if I sin, I get back up and I make another decision to stay with God. I've seen so many people, because here's the thing none of us want to be. None of us want to be hypocrites. None of us want to be hypocrites. Like, as I know, especially the, the younger generation of, of adults and teens, uh, the idea of appearing to be a hypocrite is one of the most offensive things to them, and it should be, and it should be. But we can get so hung up in our own pride of not wanting to be a hypocrite that we abandon a really beautiful thing in our life. Because what I've seen through so, through so many people is they come to faith in Christ, they get excited about that faith and that decision, and, and God is doing, working in their lives, and he's moving, and he's doing great things. And then, eventually, there's a temptation that comes along, and they're unable to resist that temptation. They sin. Maybe they sin again, and maybe they sin again. And before long, they're looking, they're, they're looking at themselves going, I can't do this. I can't live this life. And so I would rather leave the faith than stay and look like a hypocrite. And I wanted to tell you, you're in good company. We all sit here, a room full of people, desperately trying not to be hypocrites and often failing. But God doesn't measure righteousness the way that we measure righteousness. You know what he measures? Are you with me? Do you believe me? Are you going to stay with me? Even if you fail, even if things don't go your way, even if, if, if my plans don't match up with your plans, even if I call you to do something hard, and by the way, he will. Are you going to stay with him? Are you going to believe that he is who he said he is and that he can do what he said he would do? That's what faithfulness looks like. And every single one of us can do that. Do we want to gain more victory over our sins? Absolutely. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will. It's not the power of us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. You can try to change yourself as much as you can. And there's a cap on that as far as how much you can change yourself. There are certain things in your life that you cannot change without the power of the Holy Spirit. And you need to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit and allow him to do that. For God counted it to him as righteousness. Let's look at the next passage. Chapter 17. Start with verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Get that part of the promise there. Not just, you know, we, we know that Abram is the father of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. But God didn't stop there. He said, I'm going to make you the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you 
the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant, <coughs> excuse me, between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possessions, and I, I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So God, I bring this out because God gives, us, gives Abraham this physical sign of the covenant that to stand as the covenant between God and him. And it's the sign of circumcision. Okay. Now, if, if you don't know what circumcision is, ask somebody and, uh, and, and uh, do that. So um, now I'm, I'm going to fast forward into the new Testament just a little bit because there's something very important here. When people, when the church was established and people started coming to faith outside of the Jewish faith, what the Bible calls Gentiles, which basically is most of us probably, right? There was this question about circumcision that had come up. Does somebody outside of the Jewish faith need to be circumcised and that sort of thing? And and through the teachings of Paul, we learned that, no, that's not a requirement anymore. Because why? Through Jesus Christ, there came a new covenant. We're going to talk about that in more in depth later. But there came a new covenant. Actually, when your Bible is divided up into Old Testament and New Testament, that's actually a really poor way to put it because what it really means, that word testament, when it was given, meant something different than what it means to us today. What it really should say is old covenant, new covenant. Old covenant, new covenant. And through the new covenant, there are signs of being a part of God's family. Even physical signs, but circumcision is no longer one of them. Whether you do that or not is up to you. But there, is, there are still signs. And one of those signs we actually celebrated here this morning, it's this act of baptism. This physical thing that we do to align ourselves with the family of God. To, to show the world that we're a part of that family. I, um, she's not in the room, so I'll tell the story. <clears throat> it's, it's not about my wife, it's about my daughter. So um, I, I had a situation with Meadow yesterday, I believe. Yesterday, yesterday or day before, where I had told her to go brush her teeth. And uh, Meadow is five years old. So she runs off to the bathroom and then immediately runs back. Like no time at all went by. No, like almost none at all, right? And so I said, uh, Meadow, did you brush your teeth? Yeah, I brushed my teeth. And um, like, I, I, don't, I don't think you did brush your teeth. She says, no, I brushed my teeth. And I use my toothbrush and everything. I said, well, what did you do with your toothbrush? She kind of, you know, got all sheepish. And, and uh, I was like, Meadow, I don't, I don't think you brushed your teeth. I think you're lying to me. Well, Meadow is my, even though she's kind of rough and tumble girl, but she's also very soft-hearted. Like, I just have to speak a little tersely to her, and she breaks down, right? And so I was like, I, I think you might be lying to me. Are, are you lying to me? And she just melts. She just goes into tears, right? And I said, come here, we need to talk. And I said, She's like, well, I just grabbed my toothbrush and touched it to my tooth and put it down. <laughs> right? So it wasn't really a lie, Dad. And I said, 
I said, ah, yeah, it was a lie because, you know, that's not what I asked you to do. And, and, uh, and so I said, I, she's still kind of crying. And I said, here's the deal. You need to know this about your daddy. I said, there's something your dad hates more than anything else in the world, and it's lies. I, I hate, and I'm going to tell you, what I hate even more than lies, I said, is a Myers who lies. I said, you need to know you bear the name of Myers, and we don't lie. That I, I want to make sure that everybody who knows us knows that what we say is truth. My dad had this conversation with me. I'm sure his dad had that conversation with him. I've had it with each of my four kids at one point or another that, that one of the responsibilities of bearing this family name is you're not a liar. We don't do that. And she cried and she, okay, 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 you know. You need to know that <clears throat> what God did through this family of Abram, Abraham and Sarah Eventually, his son that he had, Isaac, when they were really like crusty old, like way too old to be having kids. What God did through them was he established them as a kind of holy family. Like, not, that, not an exclusive family. It's not that God only worked through them or only blessed them, but God in his sovereign plan chose to go a certain path through history, through certain families and certain nations to eventually get us from the point of we're sinful and living in a fallen sinful world to Jesus Christ. He chose a particular path. And through that path, it wasn't that he thought, it wasn't that he planned an exclusive relationship with those people. It's that he planned through those people, the world would be blessed. We'll talk more about that next week. But you need to know this, that we are a part, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are a part of a holy family. When we talk about family here in this church, it's because it means something. It's not that we just love families. It's that we want you to be a part of our family, our living hope family, which is then a part of the overall kind of worldwide church family. That God adopts us into his family. And with that comes not only responsibility, but blessings that you can't even imagine. Blessings that you can't even imagine. And here's the thing about adoption. When you get adopted by God, he'll never let you go. He'll never let you go. Because once you become his child, I don't know what kind of relationship any of you had with your fathers. Maybe some of you had really great relationships with your fathers. Maybe some of you never knew your father. Maybe some of you had a very unhealthy or even abusive relationship with your father. I I don't know. We all come from different backgrounds. Regardless of what your father was like, I think all of us could probably say none of our fathers were perfect. None of them. I'm not a perfect father. My kids won't be perfect fathers. But you can bank on the fact that in God you have a perfect father. Everything that you think was wrong about your earthly father is spot on right about your heavenly father. He will never let you go. And he will never fail you. And when he chooses to even 
discipline you for going off path. You can bank on the fact that that's done completely out of love with victory in mind down the road. He shapes us and he molds us and he takes us, he protects us, he keeps us, he keeps us. And there are certain marks that we bear as a member of that family. We're going to get there eventually, but I'm going to tell you a little sneak peek into what it is. One of the main marks that we as his children bear is the mark of love. Love. That when we as a member of God's family go out into the world around us and around our friends and family and coworkers and students at school and what, wherever it is we go, one of the ways they'll know you're his is by your love. By your love. I want to encourage you to embrace that sense of family that you have in God. Begin the process of believing him for who he says he is. Can I, can I encourage you to stop stressing about how imperfect you are? Because we all are imperfect. And instead, just aim for faithfulness. And God will count that to you as righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. We thank you for this part of your gospel story. And we thank you for uh, your servant Abraham and how he was able to be faithful, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but, but faithful. God, you know my heart, and I'm sure the heart of, of everybody else around here. We wish we could be more perfect. We wish that we could measure up to the standard of holiness that Honestly, only you can measure up to. But you created us and you know us and you know our... You know that we're capable of more than we even think we're capable and whether that is in terms of victory or failure. And so in this area of our life that we oftentimes can't quite get ahead of, can't quite get full control of we submit ourselves to you we ask you to be righteousness for us when we lack it where we are imperfect we will lean into your perfection where we fail the people around us we will lean into you knowing you will never fail us help us to be faithful to you I just want to encourage you with your head bowed and your eyes closed that I want to encourage you to step into a relationship of faithfulness with God. Let go of that idea of perfection that you'll never reach. Let go of the idea of, well, I've still got some wild oats to sow and I'll do it later because there will always be oats to sow. Instead, dive into a relationship of faithfulness to God. Submit to him, submit to his Holy Spirit. Give them permission to change you in the ways that you need to be changed. And if you can be faithful, just faithful. It'll be counted to you as righteousness.
not because of how good you are, not because of you ability to make great decisions, but because of Jesus Christ, because of how good he was. Because of how God he was. Just submit to him right now. Just pray where you are right now. If you're out of a relationship with Jesus and you want to be in a relationship with Jesus, pray right where you are right now. God, I want to declare that you are who you said you are. I believe you can do what you said you could do. Even in my messed up life, I believe that you can change me. I submit myself to you as my Lord, as my Savior. Covenant with you to spend the rest of my life following you. I rest in your grace and in your faithfulness. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your faithfulness. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.